Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson for June 12th of 2022. And we're going to be looking at another miracle of Jesus, and this one is uh, the cursing of the fig tree. Now, every other thing that we've seen so far in our little study here has been a positive thing. This one is not quite as positive, a little bit negative <clears throat> in the fact that uh, something instead of being healed or something produced like the water into wine or something like that, this is actually going to take the life of the fig tree. But as we have noticed through all of this, these miracles, they are actually designed to teach and to uh, illuminate some type of truth. And so uh, we want to see this and, and look at this and see what Jesus is indeed saying. So uh, we're going to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 and 13. It's just a short little uh, statement here about uh, what happened. Now, before we read that, some things to understand. In the scripture, Israel is pictured as a fig tree. And so when we think about the cursing of the fig tree and the situation with the fig tree, uh, could it be that Jesus is actually saying something about his people, about his nation, about their religion, about their worship? In fact, uh, says that he came into his own and his own received him not. You remember Jesus saying to the Canaanite woman that he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was where the focus was. In fact, Paul even said in Romans 1.16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Okay, there's our wide open part. And he said to the Jew first, then to the Greek. And indeed, that's the way that it happened. Now, the fig tree is used as a symbol of Israel. I'm not going to read all these verses, uh, but you might want to look them up. Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, in Nahum chapter 3, verse 12, and in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. Why do I include those? So that you know this isn't just forcing some type of interpretation on it from strictly a New Testament perspective. Uh, very clearly, that's what Israel was referred to even in the Old Testament. So the disciples... And anyone else watching and seeing this miracle, this should have triggered something in their mind. And so the story is really not about breakfast, but it is about Israel and about its religion and what it had become. It also uh, carries a grim reminder for us. If you will think about Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus said, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And when you notice that the idea of the fig tree representing Israel, and when you think about where they were going, what they were doing, and what Jesus even has to say later on to his church, you uh, understand here this is about the religious rituals and everything that was going on 
in uh, Israel at the time. And so why was Jesus so angry about this? The same reason he would be upset with a New Testament church, the fruitlessness, the barrenness, just the dull rituals that people go through when there's no real true worship or uh, any type of heartfelt allegiance or loyalty unto the Lord. So what was he really saying here? Let's take a look and see if we can discover a little of it. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing uh, from afar a fig tree having leaves, that's very important, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Verse 14. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. So Jesus comes out, sees the tree, and the one thing that we probably don't understand about fig trees is unlike some of the trees we have around here, I love peaches, and uh, a peach tree will bloom, and then the bloom will turn into the little peaches, and then it'll put on leaves. And uh, you may go to a peach tree and you find green leaves on it, and maybe some little bitty green peaches that have come from the blooms that have been pollinated, but you wouldn't think of eating of it. The same thing would be true of an apple tree or any other type of fruit tree, but the fig tree is different. The fig tree uh, in Israel particularly, it put on its fruit with the leaves. So when there were leaves present, the expectation was, well, there'll be fruit. There'll be something there to eat and get a fig for breakfast. Now, was Jesus fooled or caught off guard? Of course not. He was doing this to make a point. William Barclay says, although the story of the fig tree is uh, in Mark's gospel is divided into two, we take it as one. The first part of the story happened on the morning of one day and the second part on the morning of the next day. And chronologically, the cleansing of the temple, this is important, the cleansing of the temple came in between. What could the Lord be saying? Cursing the fig tree that represents Israel, cleansing the temple, and then coming back and they see that the fig tree is indeed withered. Going back to what Barclay said, but when we are trying to see the meaning of the story, we had better take it as one. In other words, the two things kind of come together and they, they're sandwiched with the cleansing of the temple and uh, it's in between these two things. Um, let's talk about this. Number one, Jesus was condemning Israel's hypocrisy. Now, where would in the world would we get that? Okay, we've got a fig tree. Jesus sees it. And like everybody else or anybody else in that situation, it was perfectly normal for him to see the tree from a distance because of its leaves. And the leaves would be an indication 
that there would be fruit present. Okay? And what does he find when he gets there, of course, that there is no fruit, and it's as if the fruit tree, the fig tree, was pretending to be something that it was not, pretending to be fruitful, advertising that it had fruit, we might say, and yet when Jesus came up there, he found nothing. So the next day when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. Well, the reason that that is mentioned in there is because it's perfectly reasonable in that part of the world to see a fruit tree, a fig tree, pardon me, with leaves and to say, ah, breakfast, there's going to be something there. And so Jesus is talking here and getting the point across about something that is merely surface and external. He, he couldn't see the fruit, but he could see the leaves. And when he got up there, he found out that the leaves were like a, could we say, a false advertisement of what the tree uh, should have produced but didn't. And I think what he is saying here is that the promise of fruit was there, but fruitless Israel was supposed to be sincere, walking with God, fruitful, glorifying the Lord, and even doing it among the nations. But if anybody came, any Gentiles or anyone else, had they come to Israel, had they come to the temple, had they come to the worship of Yahweh in the temple, they would have found it to be empty, fruitless, ritualistic. In Texas, they might say all hat, no cattle. In this case, we'd say all leaves and no fruit. Nothing really there that benefited anyone. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. And look, look at this, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so what was the Lord's intention for Israel? I want you to be a light to the world. I don't want you just to be a group and a religion and ritual unto yourself. I want you to be a light to the world. But Israel had come to the place to where they really didn't care that much about God. They didn't really care that much about even what was going on in the temple, except that it's just what we do. It's our thing. We do this. We're Jews. This is what we do. Why do we do this? We don't really know, and neither do we care. It's just what we do. And so Jesus, as the one who came as their Messiah, came to bring light as the light of the world. Read John chapter 1. And uh, they didn't care. They weren't really interested. They were more interested in keeping their temple going. And they were more interested in keeping the rituals going and condemning others when they didn't keep them properly, when they were missing the whole point of everything uh, as they did them. I want you to think about what we have studied in the book of Exodus. Every ritual, every piece of furniture, and the tabernacle later replaced by the temple itself all pointed to redemption through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as uh, the Bible is a book of progressive revelation, 
You don't find everything that you know by the time you get to the book of Revelation that you, uh, you know, you don't have all of that in Genesis. Now you have allusions to it. You have pictures of it. You have things that point to it. For example, when Adam and Eve sinned and the curse is put on the serpent, and it is said in there that the uh, seed of woman is going to be bitten by the serpent, but the seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, what, is, what in the world does that mean? What is that a symbol of? Well, you and I as New Testament believers get a pretty clear picture of, of that. The seed of woman, that is a weird way of saying something. It's always the seed of man. What is he saying there? I think it's an allusion to the virgin birth of Christ. Who is the one who is going to be struck by the serpent? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah. And who is the one that crushes the serpent's head? That again would be Jesus. And he did that on the cross through his death when the book of Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he disarmed principalities and powers. The book of Hebrews tells us that Christ on the cross robbed Satan of his ultimate weapon, the weapon of the fear of death. And he did that by giving and securing for us eternal life. And we could go on and on with those examples. But Adam didn't have those other scriptures. Eve didn't have those other scriptures. And for most of the time in the Old Testament era, they didn't have the New Testament fulfillment of those things to put two and two together. Now, maybe there was enough there that they should have, but it wasn't as clear as it is to us. And so Israel had just kind of become this uh, family of people unto itself. They were all related because they were children of Abraham and children of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Thus, they're called the children of Israel. The 12 tribes were named after the sons of Jacob. They're all related. They carry Abraham and Jacob's DNA. But instead of being a light to the nations, they had become withdrawn. They had become inbred. They had become exclusive. They had become unconcerned. You know, they would talk about what, what good are the Gentiles? And one of the rabbis said that Gentiles were simply created for one thing, to be fuel for the fires of hell. Now that'll bless you, won't it? So you don't find any real compassion. You don't find any evangelistic fervor. You don't find anything like that at all. They're just going through their motions and uh, doing what they are doing, but they're doing it without any sincerity, without any heart in it, and there's certainly no fruit. So going back to what Jesus said to the church at um, Ephesus, remember from where you have fallen, repent and return and do the first works or I'm going to take your candlestick away. In other words, he was saying to the church, I'll blow out your light. Why? Because you're fruitless. You're fruitless. And they had become in the early church days, even then they had become a lot like Israel. We have our beliefs, we have our doctrines, we have our rituals, we have the things that we do, and we don't really care that much about anybody else. And I get the idea that they'd even lost their love for the Lord because Jesus condemned them for not having their first love. First love being that primary love, the excited love, the joyful love that you have. It, it was all gone. And it wasn't that they hated Jesus. 
and they were really basically a good sound church. They just didn't love the Lord anymore and they didn't care about anybody else. That's the same picture that we find here about Israel as we look at this in terms of the fig tree. Now, secondly, Jesus condemned Israel's misleading religion. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. So what is he doing when he goes to the tree? He's going there expecting fruit, expecting something nourishing, expecting something that has been produced. I mean, the leaves gave every indication that there would be fruit there, and yet it was false advertising, as we said before. Now, Jesus is giving a picture here of what had happened to Israel. Israel never said, we're faking it. Israel never said, we don't really care. We're just going through the motions. Israel never said, this is just simply a social club, a family thing. It's just simply what we do. Now, they would get upset if anybody tried to come into the temple and use a coin that had Caesar's image on it. But it wasn't so much because they loved God or wanted him glorified. It was just more about the fact that we can't allow you to do that. And that is offensive to us. You read the uh, book of Malachi, I almost said the gospel of Malachi, the book of Malachi. And what is the Lord saying to these people, even after they had returned from Babylon? The people had gotten to the place to where they said things like this. Oh, the Lord's table is contemptible. You know what that means? They were bored with it. They were tired of it. It didn't really have any message. It didn't have any meaning. It didn't have any excitement. In other words, it didn't have any fruit. It's just one of those things we did. The Lord says in Malachi that, uh, you know, take, take your animals that are blind or lame or diseased and offer them to your governor and see that he will accept it. You know what they were doing? They would look at their flocks and they would say, well, it's time where by law we have to kill another one of our sheep. Sure would like to keep the sheep, could do something with the wool, and maybe the sheep could reproduce and enlarge our flocks. Boy, I sure hate to take that and just waste it in a sacrifice at the temple. Just going to kill it anyway. Hey, there's one over there that's sick, can hardly stand up. It's staggering around or maybe just laying there. It can't last much longer. Let's take that one and let's offer that one to the Lord. After all, if all that matters is a sheep has to die, let's take one that's going to die anyway. Therefore, we've lost nothing. You know, when King David wanted to offer sacrifices to the Lord, he found a place and he offered the owner money for it. And the owner, you remember when... He found out what it was for. He said, just go ahead and you can have it. If it's for the Lord, just take it. Just take it. And David made a very um, insightful statement there. He goes, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Well, his descendants, hundreds of years later in Malachi, were doing just that. Let's give the Lord what doesn't cost us anything. You know, it's easy to get into that point. If I don't have anything better to do, I'll go to church. 
if I don't have any other thing from the world, work or sports or something like that, that want my attention, well then yeah, I can work in Awanas or I can teach Sunday school or I can do something like that. But the first time something else comes up, well then I've got to do that. And some people are more loyal to their uh, their team than they are to the Lord or to his church. And then they wonder why they're not being blessed. Why is it? Because that makes you like a tree with leaves, but no fruit. And uh, so that's what's going on here. And Jesus is giving us the clue that he wants us to be fruit bearing believers. Read John chapter 15 about that sometime. And so um, Jesus cleanses the temple because it was fruitless. It had become a profit-making situation, a status symbol for certain people and something that made profit for others. We uh, read in the Bible, so they came to Jerusalem and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. <clears throat> now, why were they buying and selling in the temple? I mean, how can that be pagan. Isn't that for worship? Isn't that for sacrifice? Isn't that for the rituals that God had commanded them? And it certainly was. But when people would travel from all over the Roman Empire to come to the temple, as they got there, they might come with their animals. They may have traveled for uh, hundreds of miles with their animals for sacrifice. And um, maybe along the way that animal died, uh, who knows what might have happened. Maybe the animal got sick. And so they bring it in. And what is it that's going to happen? The first thing that happens is the animal is going to be inspected to make sure that it is suitable for sacrifice. Well, what was happening is almost or maybe even every time an animal was brought in like that, they would find something wrong with it. I mean, even the unblemished lambs aren't perfect, are they? Something wrong with its hoof, something wrong with its eyes, something wrong with its wool, whatever it might be. And so they were always, or almost always, to be fair, turned down. And then the person that inspected said, no, this one's not acceptable, but you're in good luck. We have all of these animals over here. We just happen to have exactly what you need. And so then that person, even though they brought their own sacrifice, they now have to pay for one. And guess what the prices are? The price of a lamb on the open market was one thing. The price of a lamb in the temple, already inspected, already cleared, ready for sacrifice. It's going to be like a hot dog at a football game. You pay, what, four times what it's worth? when you get there. And so uh, that's what was happening. The prices were high and it was very profitable to the Jewish leaders, especially the high priest, I believe it was Caiaphas at this time, uh, because he owned the flocks where these were all taken from and he's getting much better than market value for them. And so you would take out your money and you'd say, well, I guess if I have to, I have to. And you pay for it and they go, ah, not so fast. That's a pagan coin, and it's got the image of Caesar on it. Well, that would be like bringing an idol into the temple. Uh, we can't possibly do that. But you're in luck. We happen to have some people over here who will exchange your Roman coins for shekels, Israeli coins. And so they would do it. You know how the exchange rate works if you've traveled overseas. 
when I was in Germany, the German mark uh, compared to the dollar, the dollar was much more valuable than the mark. It would be three to four German marks for one dollar. That was the exchange rate. Okay? Well, if somebody wanted to make money, they might say, ah, oh, sorry, we can only give you two marks for every dollar, and they would be cheating me out of half of my price. I'd pay more for it, and I'd have to determine whether that was worth it or not, or go to another place. Well, in this situation, they didn't have any other place to go. This is where they exchanged their money at an exorbitant price so that Caiaphas and the people there, they made money off of it, when they exchanged the Roman money for the approved shekels so that they could buy the lamb at a higher price so that they would be acceptable in the sacrifice. You're getting the picture? This wasn't about God. This wasn't about worship. This wasn't about sacrifice. This wasn't about redemption. This wasn't about bearing fruit. This is about making money. Isn't it interesting that while they might have been concerned about these Jews from other parts of the empire bringing in idolatrous Roman money, well, the money changers apparently weren't too concerned about it because they were more than happy to take the money. See what was happening here? And so the fig tree is a picture of what was going on, or shall we say, what was really going on. And it's more than just the actions, it's the heart. Now, you do know whenever you teach this lesson, God is looking at more than your content. He's looking at your heart. When the class is listening to this lesson, it's more than just, are they polite? Are they kind? Are they affirming? Are they listening? God's looking at their heart. And the same thing can be said when we come in here for big church. What's happening when we sing? The Lord's looking at the heart. What's looking What's God looking at when I'm preaching? He's looking at my heart. What's God looking at when you are listening into your response? It's all about the heart. And we should be, because of that, bearing fruit that Israel did not uh, bear. So in other words, there was the appearance of success. It looked like the temple is doing great. Everybody's going great. Look at all of these people. Look at all of these sacrifices. Jesus is saying it's leaves without fruit. And the sign of fruit is, of course, the leaves. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus said, Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And in Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You know what Jesus is saying in all of that? The worship, supposed worship of God in the temple and in Israel was actually leading people to hell. That's an indictment, isn't it? Now next, notice that Jesus condemned Israel for its selfishness. When he came to the tree, came to it, the fig tree, he found nothing but leaves. Well, what good are the leaves if there's no fruit? The tree, Jesus said, is a symbol of selfishness. Oh, yeah, you proclaim this thing, fruitfulness, but it's not true. In fact, you're proclaiming it when it's not even the season for bearing figs. 
But that didn't matter to the tree. The tree put out all of its foliage so that everybody would think it's got it. It, it. It's the real deal. And that's what Israel was doing. They were acting as though they had the real thing, a relationship with God, and yet there was no fruit at all. It wasn't even a season for fruit, and yet they're proclaiming it like everything's okay. We do that a lot of times in church, don't we? The leaves were for the benefit of the tree. Photosynthesis benefited the tree, but it didn't produce anything for anything, anybody else. Fruit is for someone else. Fruit is for reproduction of the tree. But the tree wasn't reproducing, and it wasn't feeding anybody. It wasn't doing anything except proclaiming its own glory, which was not really there when you looked closely enough. Boy, there's a lot we could preach on on that, isn't there? A lot we could talk about there. It wasn't the season for figs. When you uh, think about this, he had gone and turned over the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And, uh, you know, all of that stuff is happening there. And he says down in verse 17, Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, they weren't acting like thieves. They were acting like worshipers, but they actually were thieves. Verse 18 says, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. You know what the translation of that is? He was right. He was right because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now, the temple and the people in it were there for themselves. And there was a lot of exploitation there. And so when these sincere pilgrims would travel there thinking we're going to go and we're going to worship, what happened to them? They just had to pay through the nose for the promise of worship. It was really about fattening the purses of the people who were in charge. And so we've been through kind of all of that, a little bit out of order, but you get the idea here. And so Jesus is incensed about the desecration. God and his glory was just an afterthought or something they said but didn't really mean. Profiting gain was the actual priority, and this is a violation of Scripture. Isaiah 56, 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, or shall we say, all nations. So Jesus, last point, cursed Israel for not being fruitful. What would he say to and about us? So in response to this, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. It's the Old Testament counterpart to Jesus saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to blow out your candle, church. I'll take away your light. Let's understand something. Salvation and righteousness is going to come through a person whose name is Jesus. Not a temple, not the rituals. They all pointed to Jesus. 
And Jesus is the only way. And in fact, the book of Hebrews, if you read in verses uh, chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, it tells us we have a better way. We have a better covenant. I don't care what you think about, what you see and what goes on. Jesus is indeed better. Matthew 23, 27 says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly, here's the key, outwardly are beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You know what Jesus is saying? Look at the fig tree, and I'm cursing it, and there you find what Israel and its leaders, especially its spiritual leaders, had become. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be fake. I don't want you to be proclaiming your righteousness all around the world. Look at me. I'm a Christian. Look at me. I'm moral. Look at me and see how close to God I am. When we dig behind the leaves, we find that there is no fruit and there are ulterior motives. The conclusion is found in verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. That's total death, isn't it? And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Now let's just end by saying that should not have been a surprise, should it? Jesus promised it. And yet we always act surprised when God says, I'll discipline you, I'll chastise you, you're going to reap what you sow, and then we're sort of surprised when it actually happens. The Lord disciplines those he loves. It should be a solemn reminder of how God hates hypocrisy and fruitlessness in us. And it should remind us of the call to living a vibrant and having a, pardon me, having a living, vibrant relationship with a real God who gave his only son for us. Well, that's convicting, isn't it? That's the kind of thing that should make us do what Israel failed to do. Run to Jesus, confess our sin, get right with God, and start bearing fruit for the glory of God instead of merely going through the motions and pretending and being a fake. There's nothing worse than false advertising, is there? And so many times I'm afraid that as a people of God, we indeed hold out the promise, but like the old Wendy's commercial in the 80s, that old lady asked, where's the beef? Probably good for us to say, where's the fruit? May God help us and may God bless us and have mercy upon us. Thank you for taking the time to uh, watch this or listen to it as the case may be. And I do pray that you will be fruitful in your walk with God and that this lesson will bear tons of fruit in your class and in our church for the glory of God.